right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here, ready for the next episode of the Mixed Zone Women's Soccer Podcast. This is episode number 343. With that number, we'll give a shout out to 2022 rookie Cameron Tucker, who played 343 minutes across all competitions in her first season in NWSL. Wanted to highlight a rookie as the 2023 NWSL draft is just around the corner. And yes, it has been so, so, so long since I've done the last podcast, but wanted to um, send a holiday gift to everyone by actually getting my button gear and doing another podcast. Not sure what uh, the mix zone plans will be for 2023. There's so many great women's soccer podcasts out there now, but uh, thinking about that and I'll let everybody know. So two great chats for this one. So it's a pretty pretty big podcast. First spoke with my friend Dan Laletta from Equalizer Soccer, looking back at a few highlights and also lowlights of the 2022 NWSL season, also looking ahead to 2023. And then a chat with my pal Julie Foudy. Um, really great to talk to Foudy for the podcast. Um, first time actually. Um, so I spoke with the former US captain about the latest book. Uh, that's come out about the team and why this one is different from the books that have come before. Um, and if you hadn't have a chance to, uh, you know, get a Christmas gift for somebody, this might be a good last minute gift for a Woso fan. And then, of course, there is a Jensplainer segment, and this segment reviews the February Women's World Cup playoff tournament. So I hope you enjoy this podcast. I appreciate everyone who's still listening when I've been basically out of pocket for six months. And of course, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at MixZone, M-I-X-X-E-D Zone, and at Keeper Notes. All right, Jen Cooper, the Keeper, back in front of the microphone for the first time in feels like forever um, with Dan Laletta, my, my partner in Woso discussions, Dan, you know, we're approaching the end of 2022 pretty quickly. And I was like, okay, I've been such a slacker on this podcast, but I feel like I need to get back on, talk about the year. And of course, want to talk about it with you. Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> I think he first reached out to me like November 1st and said, can we do a wrap up? And I said, sure. When do you want to do it? And here we are. It's almost the end of the year. <laughs> and I said, when I get back from Qatar. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it's been, it's been a huge year and much like the whole COVID feeling of, of like, wait, that was really only three years ago or that was two years ago, or it's been that long. I'm yeah, trying think to think of everything that happened this year. That's just, this year, right? So our last drafts, we had both of them about this time last year, we had the expansion draft and the college draft almost back to back. And then boom, we're in a wild 2022 where for the first time we've got 12 teams, you know, Deb, uh, <laughs> NWSL is back in Southern California for the first time since forever. Um, yeah, just there's there, there's so much in that kind of crazy challenge cup and the overlap with the schedule. And then, oh, yeah, then we had that July where every confederation seemed to be having its World Cup qualifiers. And I don't know. so what what do you remember? I think that's about the bulk of what I remember from 2022. I mean, a lot happened in 2022. I was recently 
having a conversation with someone about the night of Angel City's first game, and it's kind of hard to wrap your head around the fact that Angel City's only played one season. But I, I know. think that, you know, their first game, the Friday night, late night on CBS Sports Network. first regular Network, season game, you mean? Yes, first regular season game, and they did the right thing by not playing their Challenge Cup games at Bank of California so they could have a real grand opening. And, right. I mean, can you name a – well, that might be stretching it to say, can you name a celebrity that wasn't there? But there were an awful lot – of celebrities there. I had a friend who had seats right in the corner down by the goal line or by the corner flags and was sending me pictures. And, you know, that really took, uh, I think, this league to a different level. And we can debate, you know, how we feel about the way Angel City does things and what their on-field product was like. But, you know, that took us to another level. And then, you know, on the other end, you know, you had Merritt Paulson finally agreeing that he would sell the Thorns, but you know, you have to look back at when the Thorns came into the league, and they were going to originally play games at Merlot Field, remember, which seats I think I don't know less than ten thousand, and they were going to do some special events at right. Providence Park, which was Gerald Wen back then, and they quickly realized, wow, we can do Gerald Wen full time, and like that changed the course of women's soccer, because even though the Thorns were an outlier, it was a completely new target to shoot for. And Angel City kind of came along and said, yeah, we can hit that target. Maybe we can surpass that target. And I, you know, then San Diego, now it would be interesting to see what happens at Snapdragon in 2023, because they only had, what, did they play two or three regular season games and then a playoff game? Two regular season, one playoff, yeah. Right, so it's hard to judge the actual attendance numbers in terms of where they're going to land, but you know, that to me feels a little bit like when the Timbers and Whitecaps came into Major League Soccer in the same year. And it was like almost it was like seamless expansion. You know, it, that's it just, a good it, way to describe it, it. It helped put the league on a different level. And, uh, you know, other than some of the off the field stuff and the way the schedule just kind of got botched up with the Challenge Cup, that's mostly what I'll remember about 2022 in NWSL. And I did appreciate that, you know, one intent of the schedule was to create, for the regular season at least, a truly balanced schedule in a way that we had never seen, where you play every opponent twice, once at home, once away. And that, that's, a, that's a noble goal. Um, you know, the flaws in it, I felt, were sometimes you would play the same opponent within three weeks of each other, and that kind of defeats the purpose of having a balanced schedule. Um, you know, and of course the, the overlap with challenge cup, but I liked what they were trying to do with that. Yeah. And some of the, um, some of the excuses for that are not as valid as they used to be because teams do have more control over their venues than they used to. And there's less need for midweek games than there used to be. So I agree with you. I do not like it all in any sport, really when games against other opponents are on top of each other too much. The other thing was that the way they did the challenge cup, where you had, you know, I mean, let's get, you know, let's great go to Seattle, Portland, but Rain and Thorns, you know, they played two times right off the bat. And I think they played early in the regular season also. So the balanced schedule was nice for the regular season, but when you factor in Challenge Cup group stage, you know, it didn't necessarily feel like they were only playing two times. And, you know, I don't want to, 
you know, rain on anybody, no pun intended, rain on the rain thorns thing, but sometimes it feels like those teams play too often. Like maybe they don't need to be in the same group at the Challenge Cup every year, or maybe they don't need to always be together when there's some sort of alternate competition because their games are great, but I want to make it as much of an event as possible, and the best way to make it an event is to only happen once per uh, market per year. And again, they almost but not quite played in the final, and that you know, it didn't happen thanks to the Kansas City current. Um, but, you know, you so you say, you know, home and home, but with the Challenge Cup, you know, theoretically teams could have actually played six times right. this year instead of just two. And we didn't get anything quite that ridiculous. But, like, weren't we tired of spirit and courage by the time we got through, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the Challenge Cup final? And then they played pretty quickly after that, too, didn't they, in the regular season, if memory serves? That, that's, my, that's my biggest complaint is – the scheduling you can control, right? Like they couldn't control that spirit and courage met in the challenge cup final, but knowing that spirit and courage were in the same group for challenge cup, there's absolutely no reason that they should be scheduled to meet in the regular season for at least the first five or six weeks. Right. Similarly, um, dash met two of its challenge cup group opponents within the first four weeks of the regular season. You know, it's like, right. wait, you, was, you knew you knew about those dates. And yeah, there's there's not an excuse for those. And that was kind of the uglier group, you know, where, you know, those that was probably the least inspiring group to watch was Dash, Red Stars, Kansas City and Louisville. Right. Yeah, right. But yeah, those weren't the matches that you wanted to see right out of the shoot in the regular season. Definitely not. Yeah. It reminds me of um, after the 2019 Women's World Cup final, you know, where you have all the different clubs trying to take advantage of that World Cup bump. And looking at the Dash's home schedule, their first two home games were against the same opponent. They hosted they that. hosted Sky Blue when they were still Sky Blue twice um, in the first five weeks after the 2019 final. So it's it's like okay, you might get a little bump because you know Carly Lloyd's playing for Sky Blue, but it's like, but then you're like, okay, they're back again, right? So that's why I do like the the focus towards a balanced schedule. Right. So you're kind of spreading that all yeah, out. I don't, you know, I think we're delusional if we think that'll keep up as the league grows. You know, MLS had that, I think it was two years where they had the balance schedule because it was kind of just convenient for where they were at. I think that's where the NWSL is at the moment, but we'll enjoy it while it lasts and hope they keep up some, you know, semblance of sanity when they, when the schedule has to adapt as the league gets bigger. But one thing I'll say, Jessica Berman came in as the, commissioner early on in the year and she inherited I don't want to say she inherited a mess but she inherited some scenarios and situations that were not of her doing and she hinted an immediate availability right around the challenge cup final that nobody was happy with the way that had gone where you had you know the regular season started and the challenge cup still had semis and the semi-final teams played on Wednesday and the weekends, so they were tired, and the regular season openers were weird, and then games had to be rescheduled. Well, guess what? We got the 2023 schedule shell, and that's been taken care of. And we were under the impression that there were sponsor agreements in place that were going to lock that in. Well, that got taken care of. So that is, uh, that's one in the plus column for Commissioner Berman, because she inherited that situation. She didn't create it, and she has done something about it. And I think the Challenge Cup in 2023 is going to be a lot easier to take. Um, with the way the format is. But again, you can control the schedule. So let's not have teams going back-to-back where they play regular season and then Challenge Cup 
you know, right on top of each other. Semis and final notwithstanding, because that you don't control, but you yeah, do control you can't the control. groups. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you're right about you, you, you can't know that you're always going to be able to do a balanced schedule, but I like that, you know, just paying attention to, hey, what's the best way to align the schedule, you know, competitively for fan interest, for player safety, you know, all, all those different factors. Um, and I'm so happy that we already know now, uh, you know, the footprint of the schedule for next year, you know, this time last year, we didn't, we didn't have that. Right. So, um, you know, making progress towards getting that information out sooner. Um, you know, what I'd love to see is, you know, what if, um, at the draft in, in January, we got to announce, Hey, here are the opening games, opening home games for each club for challenge cup, right? Like more stuff that, uh, fans want, right. Especially in that window between the, the, the championship game and the start of the next season where there's just not as much happening, but you know, all these fans are, are hungry for something. Yeah. I think that's a good point. You know, the stuff we've talked about before and it's funny cause I'm sitting here, it's what December 16th as we're recording this and there's zero MLS schedule information other than that Rose bowl opener between the LA teams. And that's later than usual. And I expect that has something to do with the fact that their world cup is going on, but MLS is really good at saying, Hey, here are the, week one matchups here are the home openers here here's this here's that and the full schedule is coming in next number of days and uh yeah you know it's still apparent that nwsl needs a little bit of work on its build-up game and its uh, promotional game and i think that would be fantastic because obviously the schedule is in the works you know who knows if they have it mls schedule being delayed probably delays the nwsl schedule but that would be really that would be a really good thing if you could say you know Jessica Berman coming up in between rounds with a special announcement about our twenty through twenty three regular season, and she says, "Hey, here are the week one matchups." That'd be great. Yeah, and just any of those windows, like I feel like they should take advantage of. Um, just like last December with the expansion draft, followed by the college draft. Remember, we were making announcements on the college draft day that I felt would have been better served making on the expansion draft day when you we had less news, right? Um, we had a bigger window to cover <laughs> cover fewer picks. I'm just well, like, on the draft, hey, this, you know, this is, you know, what if we announced in January the the championship game will be in this city? You know, like I, I know I'm going crazy bold, right now. Dave, what a bold but. idea! I mean, you know, I'm down with that idea. And <laughs> look. I don't know if I've said this on your podcast, but I've written it and I've told a lot of people this Kansas city stadium is supposed to be built for 2024. I want to know as soon as possible that that's where the final is going to be in 2024. You want to make it 25 and hedge against delays. That's fine, but let's get the final there. You can, there's no reason that you can't do that. You they they own, they're going to own it. They're going to control the dates. That's it. Final needs to be there at the first possible opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so much potential and, and, and I laugh sometimes when, you know, I encounter someone surprised at like, oh, this, this did really well, you know, the fan fest did really well, or this was, you know, I can't believe how many we sold. It's like, part of me wants to go, where, where have you been? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, um, and, and the chat that I had with, with Julie Foudy, um, it was interesting. She was talking about, you know, she's like, maybe I was naive in 99 thinking that, you know, how big the 99 World Cup final was and everything we did was enough 
to sustain it, you know, to, to well, rather to, to prove to people that like, look, you can make money off of this. Um, but one of the things I, I countered to that, I, I said it should have been, but I also feel like we still run into that tokenism of, hey, look, I did this thing for women's soccer. I had a women's soccer day. Right. right. Or, or, or I went and bought tickets for this one game, um, you know, that it's not it's not a sustained um, effort or as we've run into many times, it's being sold as a cause, you know, or women deserve X where it's like, Hey, bottom line, this is a business. This is professional sports. Um, yeah. You know, fans, fans aren't going to keep, that. yeah. Fans aren't going to keep buying tickets because it's a cause. They're going to keep buying tickets because they love the players. Right. And they love I've the action. You. you know, it's fun to follow their friends follow too. Yeah. I do feel and like we're, we're slowly turning that corner right yeah and, and as i said you market the kids through their families you know i watch baseball because my dad watched baseball nobody had to like target me to watch baseball it's just right kind of the way you, it happens you grew up knowing that that's what adults did right and i passed that down to my child as well um but the other thing and i do think i agree we're getting there slowly but another element of 99 that I don't know that was grasped at the time was we are a really, we're a big event society here, right? Like the world. Cup oh yeah. On Good point. And everybody knows all about the, where I'm talking about the men's world cup that's going on right now. Everybody knows about it, has an opinion, you know, likes Messi, hates Messi, the officials with this, the officials with that. And that's what, that's what 99 was. It was a big event. And the reason, I mean, I mean, we all know the story or if you don't, you know, read girls of summer, great stuff in there, but Yuri Longman, they made it a big event. They said this is going to be a big event. They turned it into a big event. But I don't know that they realized what it would take to do that on a week-to-week basis. And are we learning that? Yeah, we're learning that a little bit as well. Uh, but I think those are. The, I think that's another thing. Ninety-nine, where it didn't translate because you couldn't do that week to week. You could do something smaller week to week, but I don't think they budgeted for the smaller week to week. I think they budgeted for every week to be a big deal. And it just couldn't be, can't be. Right. And, and I've said this before, and I know you've heard me say it a lot before, but I, I still gristle at anyone that, that that's like, oh, they burned through a million dollars. Like, no, they spent a hundred million dollars right. for eight teams and the front office for four years, plus venues. Like when you divide that, including, you know, player salaries, staff salaries, everything It's like, that's, Nothing. It's absolutely nothing. Right. And they did it big. You know, they did it bigger than they had to do it. Let's be honest. And, you know, there were mistakes made. And I think WPS learned a lot of those mistakes, but had other issues. And I do grudgingly because I don't love to give NWSL credit. I do think NWSL learned and heeded a lot of the mistakes made by its two predecessor leagues. Um, it has made more than its fair share of its own mistakes. But uh, I think those two things kind of were a little bit better done in WSL and because they're now, you know, they're going upward in the trajectory, not downward. Right. And I feel like one of the mistakes kind of inherited that NWSL inherited was to me, the WPS model of let's pay the absolute minimum to make this happen. Right. Which I know, sounds like a good business model, but it's actually not a good business model. And I think is the kind of thing that leads to a lot of the problems um, that have come out that have, you know, that a light has been shown on 
in women's soccer. We don't need to get into, you know, all the details of the Sally Yates report, the more recent, uh, you know, joint investigation report. Um, but when things are run so bare bones, you know, so bootstrappy, like for so long, right? It wasn't like just the first season was like that. But when you think of the long stretch we had without a real commissioner or um, after uh, A&E Networks and the league parted ways and this whole front office they had built up with people actually providing website content and, you know, game wrap-ups just like disappeared and was not replaced, right? Um, So to me, the biggest positive sign right now is seeing the true investment, real, serious, sustained financial investment in women's sports and not as a here I'm making a donation or I'll just do it one year, but as a, I see this as a worthy business investment, the way we've seen, you know, the Kansas city owners step up the way we've seen more people get invested in some of the older clubs. Right. Um, and it's not just an angel city thing. Like um, I, I think it's easy to get lost in the, the, the bright glittery celebrity stars of angel city. It's like, well, they have all these, celebrity support. It's like, no, I want to know that there's the bread and butter financial people behind the scene that go, this is totally worth it. Right. And just the, the improvements we saw um, in broadcasts starting mid season this past year in terms of getting better cameras, knowing that there will be more cameras and VAR next year. And that's not something where you can just flip a switch and go, okay, we have the It's like, that's a huge cost investment, right? That that's a training investment. That's more cameras. That that's that's a bigger process, right? And but that's the the kind of stuff that that you know gives me um, a lot of satisfaction in terms of the true growth of women's pro soccer. Well, I think in the beginning, maybe it was necessary to do a bare bones so we can get it off the ground sort of thing. It's kind of like in a CBA where you get your issue in like MLS free agency and I guess NWSL free agency too. You might not love the mechanism, but it's there. So then you can negotiate off that. So if you have a league and you can get it to come more than three years without folding, you can build off that league. But I I don't know that they had necessarily a vision and a plan to make it any bigger. And I also think that it's one thing to not pay the players a lot right off the bat, but I think they had some ownership groups that were never going to be able to afford to pay the players any more Ex- money without exactly. making their own money. And so they ran exactly. into like a, they were like a negative chicken and egg thing. But one other thing that you sort of alluded to, and I'm not excusing any poor behavior by anybody around the league, but I do think one of the things that got the league tripped up was that they started off really small. So they were running very small clubs, right? You had an owner, they hired a general manager, coaching staff. Maybe. <laughs> couple of ops, right? Exactly. A couple of ops people. And one person was like team admin, PR, kit man altogether. Right. So these teams did not have human resources department. So all of a sudden, some problems start cropping up and there was legitimately no effective way for those problems to be dealt with. Again, I am not justifying any of the behavior that we have shown a light on that's been going on for 10 years in this league and beyond that time frame and beyond this league. But I do understand how things got out of control because they had 
you know, they were growing at a rate where the, they didn't have the infrastructure in place to handle the things that were going on. And I think that caught people by surprise. And, you know, uh, again, you know, again, it's not a justification for behavior and they should have reacted quicker. But I do understand a little bit how things spiraled out of control for a time. Well, and to me where the problem is, isn't so much with those initial clubs, you know, being starting off small, but then when complaints started to happen and were forwarded to what we would think would be more established organizations, right? Like the complaints made to U.S. soccer. Right. right? Who was running the league at the time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, or that once you, you did have a real commissioner, um, in Jeff Plush, because Cheryl Bailey was just really hired as an, as an administrator that, right. you know, s- seeing how things were handled once, you know, once that, once the league got past 2015, right, we were all so excited, right? Yes. We're actually going to have a fourth season. It's huge. The historic, I mean, the historic fourth season. Fourth season. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was sitting on that draft desk, just like glowing, like, you know, um, Right, but we did have a draft for season four in WPS. Let's not true. forget. And I, and I remember we even mentioned that on the on that draft broadcast in 2016. Weirdest um, draft ever, but that's besides <laughs> the point. <laughs> but that uh, you know, once we got to the point where it's like, okay, it doesn't look like this is going anywhere, right? In 2016, we had our second expansion team come in, and there there were clearly still struggles. But it's like at that point, you can't be in bootstrappy startup mode forever. Right. And that's and I think that's where the real failures started. Right. Is that, you know, and, and I think we're still missing in some areas true minimum standards. I'm, and I'm not talking about the all the work that the Players Association has done, because I think they've established some tremendous minimum standards for them. But in other areas of the league. Right. In terms of, you know, what how press boxes are run or travel or, you know, there's. A lot of that happens behind the scenes, but we can tell it's like it's still it's still coming into its own. And, you know, again, one of the things to give me hope is just the number of high level people who've been hired who all have legitimate um, pro soccer experience is just uh, it's like, it, it, again, it might be a little bumpy, but there's some real people coming in, if that makes any sense. That absolutely makes sense, and I do think there are better goals in place now. I feel like the turning point was somewhere in the 2020 vicinity, right? It was 2020 when uh, Baird came in, and I think that, you know... And had to shut down the league a week later. (laughs) Exactly. Her tenure wasn't, you know, turned out not to be great for various reasons, but I think that was a sign of um, ambition, and I think bringing in Jessica Berman is also a sign of ambition, and I think she's been very good for the most part in how she's dealt with the media and how she has sort of laid out, you know, a footprint and the groundwork for what she thinks the league can be. I will caution, though, that I think that, you know, NWSL is growing a lot. Interesting because the WNBA recently said that they would not be able to announce an expansion team by the end of this calendar year, which had been their target. So they might actually fall behind NWSL in terms of teams. They're currently even at 12, and that'd be interesting because WNBA, you know, is a lot more established than them. They've been higher and lower and all kinds of stuff. And, you know, it's hard to make a comparison based on the investment that that league has had. But what I'm 
trying to say is that the NWSL, you know, they're very high on where they're going, but I also think that in some ways they are they're targeting a ceiling that maybe isn't high enough for them. Like they are, you know, they're growing at a faster rate maybe than some of the more established leagues, but I think they're growing towards a place where they're going to max out at about 60% of where they could max out. And that is because of things like minimum standards and the way things are announced and not announced and that they may be catering to, you know, maybe it's not a niche group anymore, but maybe they're not trying to find, you know, that maybe they they don't seem to want anybody to be their fan or anybody to be involved with the league. So I do think there are some issues there. At the moment, we're not going to see them because the league is growing very quickly, but I do think they're going to reach a ceiling and it's going to be lower than people expect it to be. So you're saying they need to strive higher. Yes. Yeah, they need to strive higher and they need, and I think there are still some things uh, where they, you know, I mean, look, if you want, you know, look at um, when Gotham changed coaches. Gotham did not send out a press release. They did not put it on their website except for a out-of-the-way tweet that the team had sent about it. Washington Spirit did the same thing. After right. the joint report came out, we sort of learned that Hugh Williams had been shoved out the side door by the Kansas City Current at some point last month. Never an announcement. Didn't even announce it after the report came out. You know, those things seem inconsequential. But go and watch, like, the NFL Today on ESPN, even in the off season, And there is just so much minutia that is covered within that league. And that is what spawns the popularity of their league. And we're just not people are constantly talking about it and whatever little issue. Yeah. Are talking about it. And if you, if you put up, you know, if you make people believe that you're being secretive, that's the best way to turn people off from what you are trying to do on the field. I've always said that a sports league is like a public trust, right? You are in partnership in a sense with the public because without the public, you don't have a sports league that's viable. So you need to put the, you need to get the public to trust you. And in order to do that, you need to get the media to help you put that out. And I think that is still an area of huge um, growth slash failure for the NWSL. And until they get that part figured out, Again, their peak is going to be a lot higher than it is now, but it's not going to be as high as it maybe could be. No, and I think I think that's a really good point. And and because we're at that turning point of you know having twelve teams and knowing that we should see further expansion soon, and you know the first CBA and the success of San Diego and and Angel City this year. Um, but they still, I don't think they figured out and you reference this, who they want their fans to be. Right. And right. and this is always such a tough transition for, for any business. Once you kind of move from the homegrown family run to a corporate business, that's getting, you know, bigger and is trying to go national, right. You might lose some people along the way, but, you know, ultimately, you know, any sports league, you think their goal would be, we don't want any limit on, on who's our fan. Correct. And I always thought that sports was one of the beautiful things in the world that cut through people's differences. You know, I grew up going to Met games and I felt like when you were inside that stadium, didn't matter who you were, 
what you did, what you looked like. You were there to root for the Mets. Is that the case for NWSL venues? I, I don't know. You tell me. I don't know. I'm always in the press box or in the booth. <laughs> well played. Well played. Very good. You notice I didn't want to answer the question, so I gave it to you, and you didn't want to answer it. And either. I punted it as well. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I am so hopeful for 2023 because here we are again, and it's crazy to think that here we are again in a, in a world cup year. Um, it's so weird to think that 2019 women's world cup was only three and a half years ago. And at the same time, it seems like it was forever because of, you know, how COVID the shutdown just changed, um, our perspectives. Um, but it's, it's right there. Um, but one of the things I like about the run-up to this World Cup compared to the last two is, one, the Cup doesn't kick off until July 20th, right? So Vlako Anonofsky and all the other national team coaches, you know, they basically have until, you know, early June. There's an early June um, FIFA window for friendlies, uh, you know, to make their roster decisions. So what happens in Challenge Cup and and those early season game matters where when we look at 2015 and 2019, both of those world cups kicked off basically the first week of June and players left, at least the U S players left in early May, the roster had already been decided by mid April. Right. So those regular seasons had no impact whatsoever on who was going, uh, you know, to, to the world cup. So here, you know, we know the pool's pretty big, especially when you think of all of the normal U.S. national teamers who have not been playing because they've been injured or pregnant or whatever, you know. And I love that Blocko gave us a pretty detailed list in his last press conference of everybody who's been out, where they're, what their status is, right? So you think of all those people coming yep. back, all the young talent that we really saw start to break out over the last six months, even in the struggles against Germany and Spain, and in England, that's like, that's going to be a really tough decision to make. But, you know, so I like that you have the games in April, the games in May, all high, highly competitive games to make those final decisions as opposed to, okay, you know, you, you think of, you know, Jill Ellis in 2015. Well, she had the Algarve Cup, you know, and the January camp, and that's it. Right. I think, and, and you can you only play so many people per game here. Like all of these players can all be starting and you've got this much bigger, much more competitive pool. And I also think when you have a world cup year and you've got only two or three games, that's not really enough time to get the teams established in their seasons and to get fans invested in those teams. Now, if you've got until June and maybe they'll miss more games than we think, you know, who knows? That's always been a, dicey proposition, but you're going to have a couple of months here to get fans invested in the season, even maybe fans that don't know about the league yet, but they want to know where these players are in the build-up to the World Cup. And I think, I think, this one I think you will answer, you can tell me if you agree, <laughs> that as opposed to 15 and 19, I think there's a lot more brand loyalty now among the clubs where you know, if you don't have national team players, it's not a death knell for people not wanting to watch. Because Oh, yes. I will answer that people. one, and I will answer that with a hearty yes. Okay. Um, and me, the time difference could help, too. I haven't 
studied the start times for the World Cup, and I don't know what the league's going to do yet because they were kind of vague in that regard. But I think the time differences actually might help get eyes on NWSL games. Right. You won't have to be going um, head-to-head with games. Like, I'm, I'm sure you remember June 2015, the league went head-to-head with the opening game. With the first the day, yeah. I was in, so frustrated because I was calling in, the Dash game wanting to watch the, the World Cup opener. Right, and in France, when the World Cup games were on earlier and you were, like, caught up in that, it was hard to make the transition then after that into a nighttime NWSL game. I think the reverse – I think it's it's better to have NWSL as a lead into the World Cup than the other way around, just in terms of the way the day is structured. Right. So, so the U.S.'s first game is a Friday 8 p.m. game. Um, that's Central Time, so that'll be 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Uh, West Coast. So that means it's an early morning game, like maybe like a noon game or something in Australia, which I think is 17 hours ahead of central time, something like that. But I, I plugged him in my Very, calendar already and, and you know, to, to, cause I wanted to see that, that kind of stuff. I can um, tell you about Australia, by the way, just real quick is that they do daylight savings, the reverse of us. Right. So I know my Australia times based on January tennis tournaments, but that's totally different <laughs> in the, in the summertime. So that, that's why I plan. use timeanddate.com to do a converter where I actually that's put in cheating. the specific, no, but that, I put in the specific date that I'm trying to calculate for so that right, I don't, that's fair. you know, because you never, yeah, who does daylight savings when and who doesn't. So their second game you, is, um, think, sorry, go ahead. That's the overnight, second game is the overnight game, right? No, second game is the, is 8 p.m. It's the. Third game's overnight game. Wait, am I looking at the, correct. The, the final match, because those have to be head to head, is a 2 a.m. Central time game. And I so haven't, Friday, I haven't 9, plugged in the knockout, knockout round. So Friday, 9 p.m., what do you do then? Do you do do you try to have a game at 6 on the East Coast, followed by stick around, or maybe even 7, and then stick around and watch the game? If it's like Red Bull, put the game on the big screen. Yeah. Do you, do? You just, do you clear that out? Do you hope that people then want to watch your league game the next afternoon after they watch the U.S.? I mean, I've I'd seen some some success with the, hey, we'll have all the game on e- even if you if you don't have, you know, can't totally make it line up, but just like yeah, come out to our game, um, you know, and we'll we'll have it on the big screen after before or even if you're not even hosting a game, I remember, um, 1998 World Series San Diego Yankees. Yes. Yes. Very good. Um. I watched game one in the Padres stadium, but it was not played there. They just had it on the big screens for all the, you know, all the fans. And that was really fun. I mean, there were 30,000 people there, right? Because you knew you were with people that, that cared about as much as you did. Yep. Tino Martinez hit a grand slam after he should have been struck out on the previous pitch, but no need to delve into that too deeply. (laughs) Well, tell tell me this: um, Who won that World Series? Because I don't remember the end of it. Yankees swept four games to zero. Oh, interesting. Yep. So every and time I date a baseball fan, their team wins the World Series. Interesting. interesting. Yeah. Anyway, that's that's for another podcast. Um, so, yeah, I'm intrigued to see what what the league decides with these with these games with the schedule. As long as they don't go head to head with anything the U.S. is in. 
you know, I think they're fine. And the bulk of the games, like the U.S. only have those prime time group stage games because they'll be playing early in New Zealand. Um, once you get into the knockout stage, you're not going to have any early, right. early games, right? Here's the other thing. Um, is the league going to acknowledge these games? Because for some reason that I really can't fathom, the league literally ignores the ICC and the Women's Cup. Like, you cannot go on that website and find information about those tournaments that their teams are in. Okay, I'm not going to not answer, but I'm going to give a pass with the idea that I know that the people in charge of social media are completely new since those things last happened. <laughs> right, but there needs to be editorial stuff, totally. too. Totally. No, ICC, Women's Cup, any player out on loan, like Lindsey Horan, you know, scored for Lyon yesterday against Arsenal, even though, you know, Lyon's not going to advance, you know, anything like that. Sarah Lubert, if she's doing well at Club America, you know, whatever, um, especially if it's off season. I mean, yeah, yes. it needs to be happening during the season, but especially off season where we know our fans are hungry for content, whether or not they're aware of what Lindsey Horan is doing. The ones that are aware are probably wondering why isn't the league mention it. The ones that aren't aware, if they hear about it, they're like, oh, that's so cool. I had no idea. I had no you idea that, that there was a way I could follow, you know, this when the league is not happening. You know, you more, can literally read a Thorns recap. They won this game and this is their record and they're not going to play again for 18 days when they host whoever. Right. Not even a mention that, oh, by the way, they're hosting – this major international tournament with all these champions with all these major. Yeah. Right. It no, doesn't totally. make any, it would, it would be like the equivalent of MLSsoccer.com ignoring the U S open cup because it's not their tournament. Of course. And obviously that doesn't happen. All right. Well, last let, let's wrap this up, Dan. What's uh, you know, what would be your, your top three or maybe just one, like what, what's on your wish list for 2023? for NWSL? Um, I want the final to be announced early. We talk about that all the time. Um, I want there to be a season that goes by where we can actually talk about soccer and not talk about the off-field stuff because this was supposed to be the year of reform. And we had Amanda Cromwell suspended and fired. We had James Clarkson suspended. And I don't know if you want to call him fired or not, but he won't be back with the dash, he won't be back. In the I, and I, to be very frank, I would say technically he's still suspended because we still have not seen a press release from the league saying, here's the results of the investigation. So uh, that is, that is they, fair, they, but he won't be back with the dash. No, won't be back with the dash. Yeah. Chris Ward didn't make it through the season with Washington. He had some issues there. Um, Rianne Wilkinson had to resign, even though she was found with no wrongdoing. That's four out of the 12. Parkinson, Parkinson, right there, Scott, uh, nothing, um, nefarious about that scenario, but he did get let go during the season. Um, and that tends to happen, right? Like some of this, I feel like we're moving into the, the real sports territory of, yeah, yeah, they were horrible. Yeah. You let go of a coach because your team was playing horribly. Right. Right. But you know, can we get through a season and just be able to talk about soccer? That that would honestly be be the top goal for me. And I get it. Bad things are going to happen. Things are, you know, we're, we're not going to have a perfect women's soccer society. But I would like for the number one story to not be something that has to do with 
what's going off what's going on off the field. You know, let's have a great golden boot race. Let's you know let's you know let's just have a nice season. Let's hope that the Challenge Cup actually works the way it now should work now that it's in the proper windows and whatnot. Uh, so that would be it. And yeah, pick a spot for the final ahead of time. I know they sold it out, and it was a very successful event in DC last year. But it, well, it was close. Right, but yeah, it could have been. It could have been. Should have been bigger. Yeah, yeah. Well, my I'll throw this in. My my beef about the final, which was, um, you know, to be fair, I was really excited about that crowd, the location. I thought the fan fest was wonderful. Their um, CBS's coverage. The fact that there was a whole hour pregame and half hour postgame um, and that they had Kate Abbott. There were so many wonderful things uh, about the coverage of that final. But what disappointed me was all the focus on events seemed to be player-only events. Uh, the only fan thing they had was the fan fest that was immediately following the final, right? Here you have the Saturday night final, and you could have had a, you know, meet and greet or something with men in blazers or something with, you know, or screenings of soccer movies or something Friday night, uh, you know, uh, something where the league worked with spirit squadron to have a Saturday morning event. You know, it's like they were so focused on the player side of it and that's important. Right. But Hey, if you don't have any fans, it doesn't really matter. If you have right, players, and a ton of right? players were in were in town, and you didn't have to make it formal. Right. You announced it, but you could have, you know, maybe more people could have been tipped off, so that you know, maybe, you know, maybe they could have done some interviews or things like that. Because another thing, and I, look, nobody wants to hear me or anybody else in the media complain about access, but if the league figured out better media access. That would make for a lot better coverage of the league, and that would be a very big positive for the league. That fans, even if you don't want to hear me whine about it, it would be to your benefit if that got rectified. So that's more of a behind-the-scenes thing, but that's another area that NWSL is woefully behind on. Right. I mean, there's just there's still so much potential there, um, and also how long it took for that to be announced. But you know, turned out to be a great event. The game, not so much, but. Really fun event. I loved what they did with CBS. I love that they're finally leaning into, you know, merch for sale, you know, at the Fan Fest. But I think more can be done for fans because as as you and I both know, uh, you know, and I've definitely been this person in the past, like, you know, spending, happy to spend a lot of money to go to a place where I know there are a lot of other women's soccer fans, regardless of whether or not my team made the final. Yep, 100%. And there were an awful lot of people at that final that didn't have any allegiance to either of the teams that were in it. Right. But you're like, hey, I'm at the NWSL Championship game. And I'll, I'll, I'll add thing. this to your list. I'll add this to your list. It needs a name. Oh, I've had that on my list for a long time. But I agree <laughs> it needs a name because it's a mouthful. But, you know, on the Angel City front, I think that when the Thorns are in a game like that, I think the Thorns naturally elicit a uh, we're on their side or we're against them sort of mentality. And I think Mm -hmm. Angel City, if you put them in a big game, will have that same effect nationally among women's soccer fans. I think if Angel City were in the final, it would be a we love them or we hate them sort of thing. So if that's two out of 12 teams that have that appeal around the country, I think that's a pretty good sign. Yeah, yeah, huge. Well, and like you mentioned before, um, less about what national team are you have on your team and more about allegiance to the team. And that's one of the biggest growths I've seen with the Houston dash, even though 
if you just looked at their attendance numbers in the regular season, you'd be like, I don't see any growth. Well, as someone who's been at almost all those games, I do because there it's not what it was three or four years ago where um, a goal happens and people aren't necessarily paying attention or they're more there for, well, because Megan Rapinoe's on the visiting team or, you know, someone's having a birthday party. It feels now more like everyone there is so into the dash. If the ref makes a call against the dash, they don't like it. Um, you know, they're aware of who the other players are, but this is all about the dash. And that's, you know, that's what I think we've had to wait so long to see come to come to fruition. And it's just a great thing to see. And it all circles back to start dropping those home opener dates, start, you know, getting people talking about the 2023 season because it, Off-season is long, but then all of a sudden it sneaks up on you. Well, Dan, thanks so much for for taking the time to finally be able to sit down with me and talk through this. I I know I've been so lazy. That's when I had one more thing. Uh, We said that you were going to do the podcast after Qatar, and I did want to mention Grant Wall, who passed away in Qatar, was someone that covered women's soccer, and I didn't know him too well, but... Definitely spent some time at women's soccer events with him. So that was a tough loss for everybody in the women's soccer community. So I just wanted to kind of acknowledge that real quick. Oh, I appreciate that. And if the best article I've seen about who Grant Wall was, was the one written by Charlie Bohm, who, you know, used to cover women's soccer uh, when he was still freelancing a lot. He, it's a really great piece and I highly recommend it. It's on MLSsoccer.com that really captures you know who grant wall was behind the scenes time for a little gens planning and this gens planner is about the february world cup playoff tournament that will be held in new zealand So the 2023 Women's World Cup next summer, co-hosted by Australia and New Zealand, will be the first to feature 32 teams, eight groups of four. And we know 29 of those teams already. The draw's already been done. It was held in October. So splitting the teams into eight groups of four. And of course, with three placeholders for the last three teams who will be determined February in this first of its kind tournament in New Zealand. So what they decided to do this time around, instead of pairing confederations for playoffs saying, okay, fifth place South America, plays sixth place Europe, or, you know, fourth place CONCACAF plays the runner up from Asia, they decided, all right, all of the, you know, lower finishers uh, for each confederation would meet for this tournament and decide the three teams that will finish out the World Cup bracket. Uh, so broken into three groups. So the first group is Cameroon, Cameroon, excuse me, and Thailand facing off, and the winner plays Portugal. And whoever wins that second match, they will go into the World Cup group with USA, Netherlands, and Vietnam. So Cameroon, Thailand, they've both been in the World Cup before. Portugal has not. Portugal is the seeded team for that group, which is why they're, they get a bye to the second round. Um, Portugal making it into the Women's Euro last summer when, when Russia was disqualified. 
And then the next group is Senegal and Haiti facing off, and then their winner takes on Chile. Now, Chile made the last Women's World Cup. Senegal, Haiti, never been in the Women's World Cup. Whoever wins that group will end up in the Women's World Cup group with England, China, and Denmark. And then the final group, which is four teams, none of whom have made a Women's World Cup before. Oh, that's wrong. Sorry. Chinese Taipei played in the 91 World Cup. Chinese Taipei and Paraguay face off. Papua New Guinea and Panama face off. The winner of those two matches meet in a game. And whoever wins that final game, well, they end up in the World Cup group with France, Jamaica, and Brazil. So basically, you've got this one-week tournament in New Zealand with all of these matches played either in Auckland or Hamilton, and those are about two hours apart. Plus, you have New Zealand playing uh, a couple friendlies, Argentina coming in to play a couple friendlies, and some consolation matches as well. So you have this week of about, I don't know, 13, 14, 15 matches all within, you know, a two hour trip of each other. Um, you know, so who's coming with me to New Zealand, basically. Uh, if you want to see more about this, I would just check out um, the Wikipedia page for FIFA Women's World Cup qualification, or uh, you can check out New Zealand's Federation website, and hopefully we'll be hearing about how we can watch all of these games in February. All right, Jen Cooper, the Keeper here with Julie Fowdy. After all this time, Julie, I can't believe I've gone this far on my podcast and I haven't chatted with you. So welcome to the Mixed Zone Women's Soccer Podcast. How is that possible, Jen? <laughs> um, maybe I'm a little shy. Maybe I'm a little, maybe I'm a little lazy. I don't know. But, but when I got, I, I was so tickled to get this invitation from the publicist for this new book saying, would you like to speak to Julie Fowdy? And I was like, well, yes. And I guess I'll go through you as opposed to talking to her myself, but <laughs> let's keep it official. Um, but I, I heard about this book um, more than a year ago and I was really excited about it, that it's like, I would say the closest thing we have to a real overview history of, yeah. of the national team. It's not about one era. It's not about one player. It's not about one world cup. It's like, let's put the whole thing in context. So wh- why do you think, uh, you know, what was the reason for this book now? Yeah. Uh, I think just that nothing like it exists. And, you know, I it wasn't my brainchild. Um, <laughs> I just write the forward to it, but um, when they told me the idea behind it, I was like, oh my gosh, I, I love that. It's not just a picture book. It's got beautiful pictures. Yes. That it and Gwendolyn Oxenham, as we know, is such a fantastic writer. And she wrote all the essays that go over the history of it. And so her words, weaving it all together with the pictures, I think is the perfect way to do it. And so um, when they asked, did I want to write the forward? I was like, yeah, I would love to. I'd be honored because I just knew it was going to be done well. And there's nothing like that that kind of talks about the 80s, talks about the 90s, the current team, you know, all these iterations of what this team has been through. And so that's what I'm most pleased about is it's all in one place and it's beautifully done. Because if, you know, if you search online, like say you're kind of, you know, a new fan, 
you can find a lot about 99. You can find a lot about 2011. You'll find little hints of 91 and even 85, right? But there won't, there won't be any coverage in between. And there's so much in between. Um, so I love that it covers all of that. I also love um, seeing old pictures of the team that we haven't seen before. <laughs> right. Like I think everybody's seen like the one picture that they have from the first game in Italy in 1985, but to see other pictures around that same time, like the casual photos that the players took themselves. Right. 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 Like, like yeah. unearthing more of those or, you know, or something much more current showing the picture of Jalen Howell and Sophia Smith as little kids playing together in Colorado. Oh my God. Um, that and yeah. they're on the national team together, right? So, yeah. like, there was some serious searching into getting good photos and getting photos of. It's, it's like it's not just a couple of players. It's right. it's pretty comprehensive, you know. So, did they call you and say, "Do you have any embarrassing photos left to give us"? <laughs> <laughs> oh, they call me a lot for photos. <laughs> and <laughs> can you please help gather everyone else's photos? I was like, oh, no, you didn't tell me this was part of it. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, a lot of it is just digging through and finding. And um, I mean, just the AYSO young kid photos, too. Those are so cute that they have. They open the book with yeah. everyone's iterations of it. So, yeah, it, it was a collective effort for sure. Um, and that's why, you know, but that that's always how it is with, with the U S team. It's like, okay, go wrangle them together and go find them, you know, <laughs> but there's, but there's more and more to wrangle every year. Right. So like, it's just, are, are you, or, or is this something that's going to end up falling on me? Um, just like maintaining a database of, of every single player and, yeah, you know, or, or does Aaron Heifetz do that? Add this to your list. Beckaroo has quite an extensive one, actually. Okay, so good. Rebecca, okay, find me all the players who, and then you give like a category. Okay, I can do that on my Excel, Excel spreadsheet. You'll be nice. proud. Nice. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, it's it's really cool. I mean, I learned stuff about the team in this book that I didn't, I mean, I didn't know the the, the true origin story of Usa 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 uh, our, our cheer, for example. Yeah. I had thought it was started in the nineties, but it started with eighties team in Italy, of course, with their first tournament. And you, you hear about that kind of story that Gwendolyn writes so beautifully about. So it's all these things. I'm like, Oh my God, I didn't know. I didn't know that. Yeah. And that to, to kind of like see that you're part of the chain of history as opposed to the beginning of it, if that makes any sense. Right. Yeah. Like, and, and I love that they, they, they still do that. And and I also like the phrase guardians of the crest, right? So at, at the end where they're showing you, okay, these are the people that are fighting to make the 2023 roster. And we're still pretty far out from that being settled, right? Um, but I like that it, it doesn't just stop with, okay, we won in 2019, you know, book closed. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, this we got, we got to look forward. And these are the people that, you know, want to be part of that. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's such a fascinating time for the history of this team, but also just women's soccer in general, where we're really seeing leagues, not just NWSL take it to the next level. We're seeing new leagues launch. Um, you know, we'll have the women's world cup be 32 teams for the first time next summer. So it's just like opportunity, opportunity, opportunity. Yeah. Um, so it, obviously it's going to be even harder 
you know, for, for the women to win in 2023. But I also feel like our, our pool is bigger. The U.S. pool of talent is bigger than it's ever been before. And the players coming out um, of college and even out of high school have more choices. Mm-hmm. You know, so like when, when you look back, I mean, would you have thought that that we would have gotten to this this step so quickly? I mean, it seems like a long time, but it's also kind of short when you compare it to kind of the development of the, of the men's game. Um, that just the explosion of, of leagues and, and the growth of the World yeah. Cup. I, I thought that explosion honestly would have happened a lot faster <laughs> in 99 when all of that happened. You know, that was the vision we had, that it would be explosive globally, not just right. in the United States, that people would see the potential. They'd see the possibility. They'd see that there's money left on the table if they're not investing in women's sports or women's soccer specifically. And I, you know, and I, maybe it's, it was a bit naive. Um, and I'm always optimistic and fall on that side. Um, but, you know, it took another 20 years before, you know, we really saw the growth of, I think, women, of women's soccer. And that's in large part, I mean, because of what's happening, I think, at the club level, to your point, and what's happening with leagues. And you're seeing it in England, you're seeing it in Spain, you're seeing it in France, you know, you're seeing it in these areas where, oh, you've got big global brands and clubs that are now really invested in the women's side of it. And they're seeing a return and there's a ton of excitement. So that then trickles into the national teams are better and the games are better. And, you know, look at the Euros and Wembley and, you know, the, the women, U.S. women selling out when they went to England after the Euros in 24 hours. And so, I mean, that all happened quickly, but it took, a, you know, a couple decades longer. Right, right. Yeah. That didn't happen out of nowhere. That was that was a building up to. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember going. I mean, what do you have to show them? We just put on this tournament, and look <laughs> at it. Like if you invest and you water the garden, it will grow. We spent three years marketing this tournament, and it grew, and it blew, and it bloomed beautifully. And um, so, I I remember being frustrated and hoping and praying that we weren't an anomaly. That we actually were, you know, the standard bearers for what should be the norm. And it reminds me of something that Moya Dodd said, and, and I've quoted this so many times to people over the years. It's like, and this was a while back that she said this, you know, women's soccer is a startup business. You don't do something one day and say, look, you know, I did something for women's soccer. It's like, no, it's a startup business. You get out there every day and work on it. And what we've seen, unfortunately, over the years is so much of that. Oh, we had a women's football day. See, we, we were supportive. It's like, <laughs> you didn't, you didn't like, increase opportunities or add a league or, you know, schedule yeah. more games. Yeah. So there's, there, there's, there's a lot of that. Yeah, in there. No women's day. It's like, okay, let's celebrate women on this day. I'm like, wait, what, what, how about we celebrate women every day? Yeah. <laughs> like was... the anniversary. Wait, like why, why are we doing everything now? Like, why don't we celebrate this every year? It's one every of the most civil rights laws we've ever had. So yes, I, I hear Moya Dodd loud and clear. Well, and I was, when I first heard that they were going to 32 teams for next summer's World Cup, I was like, that seems kind of quick because they, 2019 was only the second tournament with 24 teams. Yeah. And then I read, it's, it's like 
they wanted to increase it now because the more spots that are available, the more federations will invest in their teams. You know, if you're an African country and there's only two spots available, you're like, well, what's, what's the point? But if there's five spots available, Hey, we have a shot at this. Um, So of course we're going to have some pretty lopsided groups and scores next summer, but if it grows the game, doesn't matter, you know? And of course, anytime I think of that, I think of many of the men's world cup games I've seen that have had pretty lopsided scores, you know, even this world cup. Right. But getting to see smaller national teams, like the Philippines, they hired Australia's national team coach, you know, they qualified for their first world cup. Like that, that's a serious commitment. They didn't just go hire somebody's dad. Vietnam, you know, like it's, I know. And I mean, and there's also, you won't see it as much as you did at this world cup. There's also the chance too, for some surprises, obviously, like we saw a lot of chaos and craziness with this men's world cup in Qatar. Right. Where, I mean, it's stabilized. And, you know, once they got to the knockout stages where you're like, okay, well, kind of, I guess Croatia and Morocco getting through is, is not, you know, normal. Uh, well, Croatia is Morocco, not as much. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think the, the importance being that you now have some incentive to invest in women. And what we've seen and what, you know, why I think has taken so long is you really have to uh, give these these other member associations, these other federations globally who may not, you know, if they don't make a World Cup or they don't make Olympics, then it's like four years before they ever play another game. So giving them a little bit of incentive to, to fund, to, to do some grassroots funding as well, I think is important. Well, and I'm also seeing, you know, the calendar shift for the U.S. women in terms of we're not seeing the, you know, 10-game tour after, you know, World Cup or Olympics that's a lot of meaningless friendlies and, you know, pretty much of a grind. As much as fans like that, it's, it's like that doesn't make sense when you, once you have actual leagues and exactly. other competitions, right? Um, and just as we've seen on the men's side trying to do something with those friendly windows in terms of, you know, like UEFA Nations League. I, I feel like CONCACAF is trying to, like – let's get more teams playing more often. So instead of having this one-off Olympic qualifying tournament, having an extended tournament that leads to the gold cup. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I I thought it was really interesting. Their their decision to combine Olympic qualifying and world cup qualifying Mm -hmm. this summer. Right. So if you won the whole tournament, you were in for the Olympics and second and third place, you know, Mm -hmm. we'll, we'll play after the women's world cup for the, for the other spot so that it's, you're not basically repeating a tournament again. I mean, like the, I don't, I don't think U S and Canada get much out of those qualifying tournaments. No. Yeah. <laughs> well, having said that, to be fair, <laughs> I don't want to sound disrespectful. I mean, CONCACAF in the past, you'd be like oh, yeah. eight, zero. I mean, it was tighter games this time and those federations well, are getting better. So. And that Haiti game this summer yeah. was, was yeah. awesome. So yeah, they're definitely getting better, which I was pleased to see because no one wants to be playing eight oh, you know, six oh yeah. games in in qualifiers. So um I was glad to see the region is is hopefully on the women's side getting better. And I I have a lot of people ask, you know, every now and then they're like, why don't we have a you know a women's champions league in, in CONCACAF? It's like, well, 
kind of need some leagues. <laughs> like we've got NWSL, we've got League MX. That that's it, right? Mm-hmm. When you th- think of you know UEFA Champions League, how many countries have a league? It's like that's that's how you do that, right. you know. Um, I I think from a fan perspective, it's a, it's easy to see the big shiny object and go, why don't we have that too? Not realizing that it was so much buildup had to come to having that, you know. But I I feel like. NDBSL is on a great path. Liga MX is doing really well. Hearing that Canada is, you know, ready to step up and try to have uh, their mm-hmm. own women's league. You know, this is, the, those are the paths that we need. And, you know, um, it did, t- to me, it, it does all come back down to, to 99, where that was the original spark, right? The, the, like the spark in terms of uh, getting the public to pay attention right? Mm-hmm. Getting sponsors to pay attention, that it's like something you could point back to. And there's been a lot of those sparks along the way. And, and that's coming back to the book. That's why I'm glad that the book is more comprehensive than those sparks. Mm-hmm. Because one of the things that I've noticed, you know, doing this podcast almost almost 10 years now, um, is I find waves of fans, like the people that they became fans that 2011 quarterfinal when Abby headed in the equalizer, right? Or they became fans in 2015 when Carly Carly had her hat trick, right? Or they became fans last time, you know. Or maybe it was the 2012 Olympics. Yeah. You know? um, yeah. Exactly. But but it doesn't seem like un, until maybe the last five years that you were keeping those fans, right? Like I think about WSA, I think about 99 and all those people going to those games, and I'm like, are they still going to games now? Mm. And that's what I wonder. Right. Yeah. So I so I feel like we've really hit the consistency of when the tournament's over, there's mm-hmm. actually you can keep watching these players. Yeah. You know, that there's there's actually a league. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and some seats. Yeah. Uh, I will say there's a lot of fans that come up with old spirit gear at Angel City or San Diego games. And that was nice. a spirit team from, you know, the WUSA days. And and they'll show me jackets and they'll be like, look, I still have my shirt. I'm like, oh, oh that, see, that's good to hear. That's good to hear. Um, yeah, I ran into a guy. Games. I'm like, oh, that's so I awesome. ran into a guy at the end of a cell final. I could tell he was wearing a Washington Freedom shirt from from WUSA. Yeah. And he had a scarf right. He pulled back the scarf. It was it had Abby's number on it. Aww. You know, and of course he was stunned that I recognized Abby's number. And he's like, I was there April 14th, 2001 at RFK. <laughs> it's like, yes, yes, you're still going. Yeah. So, you know, somewhere down the road, there's like an old folks home for all of us to just like, <laughs> you know, sit, sit around and share all of our old Woso memories. Somewhere, that somewhere down the road might be really close, Jen. I'm feeling it. <laughs> well, before you, before you get too old, let, let's talk a little bit more about the book in terms of, uh, did you vote on these rankings or was that, was that all non-team players where, where they did a team uh, of the decade? Uh, I... Full disclosure, did not vote. <laughs> okay. Well, that, that's more fair. You wouldn't want... I don't, I don't know if that was... Um, I I think you were... I don't... I, I just got busy and I'm like, oh, crap, <laughs> I never voted. But um, I don't remember what we were allowed to vote on. If it was just 
other decades or if it was your decade or I, 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 I can't recall, but um, I did not vote. Don't tell. Well, I, I did don't like tell the, David they, and don't tell Roger, the two <laughs> editors, the two awesome editors. Yeah. Well, I did like that they gave such detail to hear the people that earned their hundredth cap that decade or scored their hundredth goal or, you know, here are the decade leaders and all that stuff. There, there's some, yeah. some great stuff. I just think it's weird to do an all decade team where you have a weird pattern of world cups, right? Like you, some world cups, some decades have two world cups and some have three. So it's just, um, true. it's, it's yeah. a weird cycle, yeah. but I, I, I see what they're doing, right? Like that, it's a very American sports thing, team of the decade, yeah. player of the decade, you know, right. that kind of thing. And so this is a silly question because, because I got a preview copy, but is this, this is already for sale. Yes. Yes. It's yes. So yeah. it's like the perfect Christmas present for yeah, all exactly. the soccer fans in your life. It is. It's so good. I'm just flipping through it right now, looking at like all the 99ers pick. This is the Bry save. <laughs> These kind of like behind the scene ones, like to your point, you know, where it's us jogging. Learning <laughs> With sunglasses. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know where they got all these photos. It's really good. But mostly too, I'm like, you know, you're, you're, you're recognizing players like, you know, here's Wendy Gabauer who people don't talk about a lot. Right. Or right. Right. Jennings, Gabera or April Heinrichs, you know, obviously people, well, not everyone knows Michelle Akers, but Michelle Akers. It's so Tisha Venturini, you know, even- I liked even with the coaching list. So they have Mike Ryan who coached the very first yeah. year. And they even yeah. list Lauren Gregg, who had, what, three yeah. or four games yeah. you know, when they were between coaches. Tiffany Shannon. Roberts. Or no, was that yeah. Shannon? Shannon Mack, Tiffany Milbrit. Uh, so I, I, it's just – and to have it all right here, I, it's really cool. I'm, I'm, super, I'm super pumped it turned out so well. And then you look at the back, and I love we've got pictures of the players hoping to be on that yeah. That team next year, right? So Christine that, Eunice, Casey Murphy, Ashley Hatch, Naomi Gurma. Oh my God. How like we just yeah, have to talk about is. Naomi Gurma for a second. Ah, there's the tea. Yeah, the tea. Alex picture. Morgan Alex. sipping the tea. Um I you know the thing Billie Jean King always says to us is know your history. She always says that. Know your oh, history. I love that. Yeah, know your she goes crazy when people don't know their history. Like honor the people who built it so you could then play or do what you're doing know your history she always says so you know when you go back to those 80s teams the emily pickerings right you go back kim crabby like all these players that people don't know about um i just i i I think it's 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 fabulous lisa gemitter i just saw recently is another one right marcia mcdermott Debbie Belkin. Ah, so good. Marsha McDermott, first woman to win a women's pro soccer title in the U.S. with the Carolina Courage. Yep. Tracy Bates is in there. Tracy Leona. So I don't know. I, it's, it's a good one. It's a great, it's a great Christmas gift. I'm going to be giving it to a lot of people. (laughs) And I could see a lot of the national teamers. You could give it to each other. Oh, here's your gift. Oh, no, same for you. Sorry. I hope they all got their own. (laughs) The the U.S. players don't have to buy it. (laughs) All right. So I have to ask you just one last question of like, who's going to surprise us of this, this pool of future players that's listed at the end of the book. 
Mm. Who's who's really gonna jump out during the 2023 yeah. Women's World Cup down under? Okay, let me go to the list that you were that you were talking about. See if there's any. No, there's no new ones on there that we wouldn't recognize. Um, well, I think it's players that we've already seen, right? That right, right. They're not. They're not totally unknowns. No. Obviously, the duo of Sophia Smith and Mal Pugh running at defenses um, from wider areas, in particular, is so dangerous. Uh, and I've loved to see their progression. I love that um, we're seeing Naomi Gurma and how good she's is on that back line. Um, I, I mean, I think you'll see the pro- progression of like a Casey Murphy in goal. Um, not to say that, you know, Alyssa's day is up. I'm not saying that at all, but like, it's nice that you have two, three, you know, you go down the list four, four really good options that, you know, you could say right away could be playing in goal for the U S. So, um, but I like, I, I I like a I like a lot of that that younger <laughs> Ashley well, Sanchez right uh, yeah you know, she's got some mad skills in in midfield Emily Fox in 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 the outside back position so I do think the challenge now is you got so much creativity is and I've written about this and talked a lot about it on television is just. How do you bring that together so they're they're bossing games? Because they should be bossing games. And when you saw those last four games of the year, obviously um, didn't go the way they wanted them to go until the last one. You know, but you look at a game like Spain where it wasn't their A team because they were all fighting against their federation. You know, the U.S. had a hard time against essentially Spain's B team controlling the tempo and bossing the game. And I, I think you have enough good players there that we should be able to do that more. The U S should be able to do that more. So um, that's the evolution that I know Vlatko also wants to get to is you could just keep adding layers, but they've had to turn a, a big page, a big chapter in and add a lot of new elements. And that's not easy to do as we know. This is probably the biggest transitional time they've had probably in, in, in a decade. And I, I was texting with you around the, those games. It's just like, we haven't played teams ranked this high out right. of the country, you right. know, yeah, like, like that all together back, in back, such back, a long time. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's like, you know, nobody wants to lose, but I'm sure yeah. just in those, in those games, yeah. Blocko got all those players got so many teaching moments that, yeah, are, are so hard to come by in practice or in a, in a lecture, right? Like you have to experience it. And I think that's honestly the biggest disadvantage for the U.S. right now is geographically because you had Euro qualifiers, you have World Cup qualifiers. So Europe is playing Europe a lot and they're getting right. a lot of good games because obviously they need it for their qualifiers. They have to do it geographically and it's easier to get right. to. And now you have the compounded, obviously, COVID. Uh, issues. But then on top of that, like countries are realizing if I host my own She Believes Cup or a version of it, I can create revenue. And so we're not getting to the United States for She Believes Cup, you know, 
England, Germany, France, like we used right. to, because they're all hosting their own three, you know, four team tournament because they can make some money off of it, which is a good thing. Like there's revenue yeah. to be had um, when you're hosting games now, which was never the case back in the day. You know, you were losing money on games. So, but it's, it's, it's getting harder and harder to get good teams to come all the way out here. And I think that's going to be the ongoing challenge. So as Whenever you can, as a country, play those type of teams back to back to back, even if it means you have to go to them, um, then that that's a win, I think, in itself. Especially to play the team that just won the Euro in their home country. Yeah. Right. You, you, you can't manufacture that setting, you yeah. know, in a friendly here, you know, so I'm I'm so looking forward to to what this team is going to do. In 2023, yeah. and and when you think of all the players who are unavailable, that should be available in 2023. Yeah, you know, so oh, yeah. future's looking bright. It is. The past looks lovely. Thank you for, <laughs> for helping with this book, um, and I'm looking forward to getting getting a nice clean copy of it. I have the you know the all stamped up preview copy. But Julie, thank you so much for taking You're the time again. to talk on the podcast, and I'm sure I'll see you sometime in 2023. Thanks for all your help and all the things you do for women's soccer, my friend. All right, time to wrap it up with the back four. Um, Just a reminder, you can buy The Pride of a Nation, the book that Julie and I were discussing at Amazon, Target, Walmart, Barnes and Nobles, all kind of great places. Um, Written by Gwendolyn Oxenham, who also wrote Under the Lights and In the Dark, stories about women's soccer. Um, Highly recommend both books. And... Next up, my Keeper Notes Woso Google Calendar. If you haven't found it, go to keepernotes.com, click on Wosopedia, and there is a link for the calendar where I keep the entire NWCL season, um, plugging in all the Women's World Cup games, anytime there's international friendlies involving WS- NWCL players, um, the NWCL draft, etc., etc. And speaking of the draft, um, we have the 2023 NWSL draft coming up on Wednesday, excuse me, Thursday, January 12th in Philadelphia. It'll be part of the United Soccer Coaches Convention. Um, so we'll be back to having an in-person draft for the first time in three years. And yes, it's free for fans to attend. Most of the convention you have to have registered for the convention, uh, but the draft is 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 part of the free um, access area. And this draft will actually be in the evening as opposed to during the day and will be broadcast on a variety of channels. So look for more information about the draft coming from the league soon. And last but not least, the next Keeper Notes Almanac. Um, now that uh, that old Men's World Cup is over, I can focus on getting the next Keeper Notes NWSL Almanac done. Um, so look for purchase information on that probably late January, early February. And that's it for this episode of the Mixed Zone Women's Soccer Podcast. Big shout out, as always, to everyone who listens, who talks about it, who tweets about it, who sends me feedback. Always appreciated. And of course, big thanks to the Beautiful Game Network and Sean for making this podcast possible. But now she's anybody's girl.